0: to make sure that uh, um, you guys all stay awake. The guys were going to film me, but they know I uh, move around too much, so they decided, we decided it would be better just to, uh, to not do the, do the camera. Hey, I want to ask you a question to start off. Um, if someone asked you today, right now, how are you doing, what would you say? You don't have to answer out loud, but I think if we surveyed the crowd, there's probably some people that are doing really good. There's some people that are struggling and some people that are just barely hanging on by a thin thread through life's circumstances and struggles. If you would have asked me that same thing this summer, I would have probably said, oh yeah, everything's going great. But if I was honest, I was burning both ends, Uh, two mission trips, a trip with the family to Brazil. It was just nonstop all the time. And it wasn't just because of the trips, but it was... Just one of those times where I didn't have enough hours in the day, I was overworking and was not taking enough time to rest and to uh, be refueled. All of us can relate to seasons like that in life, when we feel like we're barely hanging on or we're just on autopilot, going through the motions, just trying to find a break. And if we're honest, uh, in America, because of this, because of this, uh, all this stuff that's going on in our lives, stress is a big cause of much illness. a matter of fact, two out of three Americans claim that they have stress on a regular basis. And pastors are not exempt from this. a matter of fact, 1,500 pastors leave the ministry discouraged discouraged each month in America. And 71% of pastors say they are burned out and battle depression beyond fatigue on a weekly and daily basis. Well, fortunately, I'm not to that point by any means... (laughs) just to let you know, but like you, um, I've had uh, tough times in life, times where I felt like I was struggling, times where instead of thriving, I felt like I was barely surviving. Fortunately, um, I'm not going to give you a huge travel log on my trip to Brazil, but I'm going to tell you a few things that the trip did for me. It definitely helped me to relax and rest. You see, I'm an extrovert and I like to talk to people. Well, I couldn't talk to many people in Brazil because my Portuguese is so bad, so... (laughs) I had a chance to uh, read a lot of books, read several books, got to sit in a hammock, relax for the first week, got to go to a really beautiful beach, which was nice, and at the beach in Brazil, it's full service, it's not like Hilton Head, where you can't have any vendors on the beach, you sit there, they have a guy that will cook you steak, if you ever been to a Brazilian steakhouse, it comes to you on the beach, need a drink, the drink guy will come, starts to rain, the umbrella guy will come, you name it, you're, you don't have to move from your chair, and... Uh, so we had one nice day. It rained the other days, but it was still a really, uh, a really nice time. But probably the reason I mentioned the trip to you, one of the most inspirational uh, parts of my trip was getting to meet, once again, this couple that are missionaries from my wife's church back home in Brazil who were in East Timor, which is near Indonesia for those who aren't geography buffs. Uh, they stayed there for several years and ministered to the people there. And they were on like a sabbatical as they were waiting to see what God had next. And so they were back home. But rather than just kicking back and not doing anything, they had really devoted that time to a lot of prayer. As a matter of fact, they showed me their prayer room where they would go every day and, uh, and give their prayers to God. And they both are very educated people. They could go back to good jobs in their city. He was a detective in the police force. She worked as a professor at one of the universities. But they felt like God had something else in store for them, so they felt like they were supposed to wait. And the first opportunity, they prayed about it, and it wasn't right. So in the meantime, they have little children, and all these little kids kept hanging out by their house, and God put it on um, the, the lady's heart, the missionary, the wife of the, uh, the, the couple. Their names, her name is Erica, and his name is Clovine, and put it on Erica's heart to start up a little ministry to the kids. So every day on Sunday, it started with five kids. Now she has 30 that come to her house, and they have a youth group for the neighborhood kids. She's on, supposed to be on sabbatical, on vacation from being a missionary Um, And she's not looking for a pat on the back. She'd be embarrassed if she knew I was talking about this because it's just what God put on their hearts. And so while they're waiting for their next assignment, God already had an assignment for them. So I was really encouraged by their prayer life, by their willingness to serve, by their willingness to uh, look to God rather than going to what was convenient, to go back to jobs where they had financial security when they felt like they were supposed to go out into the world in the mission field again. And I appreciated what they were doing in the meantime. So the trip was very encouraging to me. But as I came back home, it became reality again. Two days after I came back, I walked out of my house, walked down the stairs, and there was water gushing out of the ceiling in my garage. One of the polybutylene pipes had uh, the connections had broken. Fortunately, Dan Wallace lives down the street and saved the day. And uh, so we spent the whole day fixing polybutylene, uh, taking out the polybutylene, putting in, uh, good piping in the house. And then my sister, who had been taking care of my dog all summer, I had to meet her in Virginia on my day off on Friday. So I was like a trucker. I drove down there nine hours, got the dog, drove back. And uh, anyway, I know that interstate well. And, uh, but I have a dog back home. My girls are happy. And, uh, but life does not slow down for us. We get a little respite. We get a vacation. And we come back. And we know that there are challenges in this life. This morning, we're going to talk about the reading from Hebrews. You see, this young church had its challenges too, and they were a lot more serious than a leaky faucet or a broken pipe. They were Jewish believers who had a lot of persecution. Not just their lives were at stake, but oftentimes socially, they were sort of kicked out of their culture because they were no longer good Jews. They were following Christ as the Messiah. A lot of them were dropping out of the faith so the writer of Hebrews we're not really sure who that was there's a lot of people who have ideas of who it might be but the writers were trying to encourage these young Jewish Christians I don't know if they were young in age but they were young in the faith because the faith was just beginning he was encouraging them to stay the course to not give up to have endurance to keep going So this morning, as we're going to look at these first famous, uh, this famous chapter of chapter 12 in Hebrews, and this is really the blueprint for discipleship for you and I on how to live out our faith. We're going to look at what a healthy community looks like. But before we do that, I want us to look at what an unhealthy uh, model of coming to Christ and following Christ looks, at, looks like by reading you an excerpt from a short story by Flannery O'Connor who actually lived in Savannah. But let me uh, read you this story. It's called The Kingdom of God in the River. And it's about a young southern boy named Bevel who meets, who's met in the river by an evangelist, or he comes to the river and there's a traveling evangelist who's baptizing people. Let me pick up the story. The preacher said to the boy, "'Have you ever been baptized?' "'What's that?' he murmured. "'If I baptize you,' the preacher said, "'you'll be able to go to the kingdom of Christ.'" "'You'll be washed in the river of suffering, son, "'and you'll go by the deep river of life. "'Do you want that?' "'Yes,' the child said and thought to himself, "'I won't go back to the apartment then. "'I'll go under the river.' "'You won't be the same again,' the preacher said. "'You'll count.' "'Then he turned his face to the people and began to preach, "'and Bevel looked over his shoulder "'at the pieces of the white sun scattered in the river. "'Suddenly the preacher said, "'All right, I'm going to baptize you now.' And without warning, he tightened his hold and swung him upside down and plunged his head into the water. He held him under while he said the words of baptism, and then he jerked him up again and looked sternly at the gasping child. Bevel's eyes were dark and dilated. Dilated. You count now, the preacher said. You didn't even count before. When the boy returned to the apartment where he lived, he found the situation unbearable. In the neglect and alcoholic stupor of his parents, he did not count. The preacher was right. There is only hope in finding the kingdom of God in the river. And so he returned the next morning by himself to the river, wading into his chest. He stood there for a moment. His coat floated the surface and surrounded him like a strange gay lily pad, and he stood grinning in the sun. He intended not to fool with preachers anymore, but to baptize himself and to keep ongoing this time until he found the kingdom of Christ in the river. He didn't mean to waste any more time. He put his head under the water and at once pushed forward. What a dark story. But you see, what Christ is offering us, you see, the the preacher was right in in one way. This boy did count, but he was wrong in that he didn't count before. He counted because God made him, God designed him. And God wanted him, this boy, to know him. But the preacher was wrong in saying that baptism was found in the river. See, baptism, faith is found in Christ, not in the river. For some of us, maybe we had an experience on a retreat and we put all of our faith on that retreat. Or maybe it was this one-time experience we had. But following Christ was never just one event. That may have been the starting point. But we are invited into a community a community where we can go home and deal with an alcoholic parent, where we can deal, deal with struggles. And the reason we can deal with this is because we have a body of Christ, a body of believers who walks with us as we go through the ups and the downs in life. See, if this boy would have known this in the story, he would have hope as he went home to know he was invited into a community that would help him in that situation. So as the writer of Hebrews goes into uh, what he's talking about today, he's encouraging this group of believers who have a lot of struggles to not give up, to stay the course. Let me read you again the first three verses, which I'm going to focus on this morning. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's begin there. See, last week, Greg talked about the faith chapter in chapter 11, but there's a verse I wanted to bring up at the very end of chapter 11. It says, there, it says here in verse 39, therefore, we're all commended, no, these people were all committed for their faith. Remember, I was talking about all these great people like Abraham and all the different fathers of our faith and all the martyrs. Yet none of them receive what is promised, since God had planned something better for us, that only together with us would they be made perfect. Or I like the Knox translation, which says this, we were needed to make the history of their lives complete. So we count. We're invited into the game. We're invited into the race. As witnesses, as people who put our faith in Christ, the author of the New Covenant, the completed faith. Pastor Earl Palmer, who I like to uh, read a lot of his uh, um, sermon excerpts and his books, had this to say about the verse. If you follow baseball, it's almost like you had this great pitcher that was in there for the first eight innings. He threw a ton of pitches, and then the coach calls your name and says, You've got to finish the game, you're our closer. Can you imagine if you said, you know what, I'm just not feeling it today. You know, I just, my hair's not right. And uh, besides, you know, what if we lose? I just don't want to take the chance. But no, God looks at each and every one of you and is calling you all into this game, into faith, into the race, as the metaphor goes, into Hebrews 12. You count, you matter. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, See, not only uh, do we have this great cloud of witnesses of these famous people of faith found out in the Bible, but we have all the people over the last 2,000 years ago who have been faithful to follow Christ in spite of struggles and things they had in their lives. See, all of us have them. So we have the testimony of them to help us to stay the course. And the testimony of older believers in this church, if you're a younger believer, that will help you and pray with you as you go through life's up and downs. And finally... We have this hidden community of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This Trinitarian faith. You see, the Father sent the Son because He loved us, that all who believed in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We learn at Christmas that Jesus was personal. He was the manual God with us. And if you read the stories in the Gospels, He didn't just preach from a hill. He spent time with people, He had meals with people. He showed them the Father through his life. And then on the cross, he showed them the way to the Father through forgiveness of sins. And he didn't leave them there. A matter of fact, before he went to the cross, Jesus says that he would leave another, an advocate for them, the Holy Spirit. So all of us who put our trust and faith and hope in Christ have this advocate to walk with us. So we have an awesome cloud of witnesses to help us live out this faith. We are not alone. We count as we run this race, we're told we're supposed to shed all the weights that impede us. The sin that so easily entangles that slows us down, and we're supposed to do this together. The scripture tells us to, in James to confess our sins to one another. You know, sometimes people look down at uh, the Catholic Church and say, oh, I don't need to confess to a priest, I can just go straight to God. there is something beautiful and something very scriptural about confessing to one another. We actually have a face, a person, as we lay our burdens down, someone we can trust to remind us of the one who forgave us for our sins on the cross. So we're supposed to travel light. And this isn't a, uh, this isn't basically one of these type of things where um, uh, where we try to do this on our own. In other words, it's not some sin management program. That's not what the Christian life is about. If I can just try to do enough good and keep, you know, just working on it, it's not about you trying to be better on your own. That's not what it's about. That never works. A performance-driven gospel is not the gospel. The gospel is I can't and you can. The gospel is you've surrounded me with a community of believers and together through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be hope for people. We can live lives where sin doesn't stay on us. We can travel light together. You see, when we're motivated that way, when we know it's not about us, but it's about what God has done and continues to do in our life and the people he surrounds us with, then we understand that we have responsibility. And I say that word like, oh, gosh, but I want you to slow that word down. Responsibility. We have the ability to respond to God in all the situations that come up in our life. When we're challenged to maybe divert from the Christian faith or to fall away. See, he created us. It tells us in Genesis, we are image bearers. We are made in God's image. When he made all the animals, he said, it's good. But when he said us, made us, he said, it is very good. We bear God's image. And as image bearers, we have the ability to respond, that responsibility to shed the sin, to encourage each other, to travel light. We have the power of the Holy Spirit that helps us to do that. It says in the scripture, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He wants us to travel light. As image bearers, he loves us. We're valuable to him. And we have a great message to share. We're surrounded by this great community of believers from the past, the present, and this invisible community of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Together, we travel light as we confess our sins to one another. Anything that is impeding our walk, our faith, we get rid of. And finally, together, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. You see, we have a God who didn't just give us a message from the sky. He sent his son, as I said before, and walked with us. He has finished the race. He has run the race. And rather than waiting for us at the finish line, say, I did it. Now let's see if you can. He runs beside us through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the community of believers, and helps us to stay the course See, when we fix our eyes on him, it brings us to righteous living. But this is not, look at me, I'm righteous. I know a lot of Bible verses. It's the opposite. So once again, it's humbling ourselves before him so that he lifts us up. It's like that Brazilian couple I was talking about's prayer room, where they go in there to recharge, to get focus, so they know how to live each day for the Lord. You see, uh, Chap Clark, who's a, youth guy from California who wrote a book with a a lady named Kara Powell wrote this. Spiritual disciplines do not make us righteous because we do them, but rather they put us in a position to be drawn into trusting Christ more fully. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we begin to trust him more. We look to him. And as I said before, when we look to him, we start to see his image in other people. We see his image in the lost and the hurting We want to care for others. We want to live out our faith in real and practical ways. Paul wrote to the Galatians, he said this, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, that's a hard word to say, has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Someone else asked Jesus once, what's the most important thing? He said, to believe in the one he has sent. So as we believe and put our faith into practice, this helps us to focus on Jesus in our daily life. As we do that, it becomes a natural byproduct of that. So all of this that I just talked to you about, surrounding ourselves, that we're surrounded, that we have this community of believers, we're called into the body of Christ, to travel lightly, not with letting sin cling to us, but confessing our sins to one another, traveling lightly, to fix our eyes on Jesus together. See, this corporate training, so to speak, some of you guys came from the, uh, you know, those kind of uh, things, the corporate training world, this corporate or communal training prepares us for all our individual setbacks, the tough things that we go through. When we're reminded that we're surrounded, when we're reminded to travel light and that we have others to help us to carry our burdens, and we're reminded to focus our eyes on Jesus, then we'll be able to handle What comes out, uh, whatever comes our way. In Hebrews three, it says, "Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you." It's the first time it. It's not talking about us. It says, "You will not grow weary and lose heart." Hebrews, the twelfth chapter, is all about discipleship, the good discipline, the discipline that helps us to stay the course, to not quit. When we do this, we will have lives that thrive, even when our pipes break, even when we go through tough times. It may not look like it, we may not feel like it, but we'll be bearers of the good news and we'll realize that, we won't forget about that. This is the gospel. This corporate training prepares us for all our personal stuff that we go through. In Philippians, Paul writes, but one thing I do forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. See, life can be very, very difficult and we all know that. But we have a community that's there to walk with us as we go through this. We have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the community of believers that are cheering us on and that are with us so that together we can have our focus be on Christ. We can practice those spiritual disciplines as a response to God's great faithfulness. When we do this, we will thrive. So my question for you is, what's keeping you out of the game? What's keeping you out of the race? Maybe you feel like you're in it, but maybe you feel like you kind of have been on the sideline lately. If that's you, if you feel like your faith has kind of gotten stagnant, Maybe you're going through the motions. Maybe you're going through a really difficult time right now. And that's very understandable. But my encouragement to you is to bring your burdens to Christ. There's people in this church that you can talk about whatever you're going through. As you come up here for communion, I encourage you to lay your burdens down. Get back in the game. Coach has called your name. Even if you're not a sports person, he's called you to be a part of this big community of believers, to share this good news as the body of Christ with a world that needs to hear it so much. Not just for you, but our whole church, we are called to be the body of Christ. So that way, when we go here, one of the things that we do is build each other up. See, so many times people get discouraged with church. Maybe it's perception, maybe it's reality, because people are backbiting. I don't like this person because the way they looked at me, or I don't like this or that. But we're not called to do that. We're called to build each other up, encourage each other, carry each other's burdens, to have a community where we confess that we're real with each other and to express our faith through acts of love. So I want to conclude today with a psalm from Psalm 1. And it reminds us the importance that we're part of the body of Christ. And when we're planted in this kind of community, it's not on our own or it's not just some experience we had years ago, but it's a continual movement. This is what our lives, I feel like, will look like. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. God has a big plan for every single one of you, corporately and individually, because you've been invited into the game, into the race, and you're a part of sharing that good news with a world that needs to hear that hope. If you don't know that hope, I encourage you to do that this morning. Ask God to come into your heart. Join the race. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for the hope we have in Christ. And we thank you that our faith doesn't stop at baptism. Our faith doesn't stop from maybe a retreat we went on to or a mission trip. Our faith is an everyday thing that is nourished by this community of believers. Right here, worldwide, those in the past, and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who minister to us daily. Help us to know we're not alone. Help us to shed that sin that wants to cling to our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. And help us to fix and focus our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen.